It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, Boom, or whatever book or publisher you follow, this is the place for you. That's right. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. I am your host, Theo, and we have another special episode today uh, as I sit down and speak with Matt Groom regarding Infernal Girl Red. Uh, He currently has the Kickstarter for Volume 2. Uh, going on right now and it's in its final stretch but uh i i read volume one which was released by image in three parts i finished up earlier this year uh, and so now they're trying to get the second volume and they're calling it book two uh, brought to life and he's doing that via kickstarter so he and i are going to sit down and uh, talk about that and and my hopes as well that the this Kickstarter will uh, be successful and, and volume two of Infernal Girl Red can come to life because it is a very fun story that I enjoyed. And again, if you are a follower of the Massive Verse that is under the uh, editorial ship of Kyle Higgins and includes the likes of Radiant Black and Infernal Girl Red and Rogue Sun and Dead Lucky, uh, you do know that she plays an integral part. So uh, here is my interview with writer Matt Groom talking about Infernal Girl Red, Volume 2. Hey guys, it's Theo and I am sitting here with Matt Groom from Infernal Girl Red. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, as many of you guys know, I have been really big on many of the books in the massive universe that is under Kyle Higgins' editorial ship and uh, his company or his, his publishing company, uh, Black Market Narrative. And In Front of Girl Red is one of the titles that is a part of the massive universe. And right now they have their Kickstarter campaign going on for book two or volume two, which is the second set of three issues. Uh, The first three issues recently came out. The trade paperback is out uh, and they are now raising funds to get that second volume book two out. So I asked Matt if he was free so that we can talk about it and get that final push so that we can get this get this project over the finish line because I know I want to read it. And I know many other fans <laughs> of uh, Infernal Girl Red and the Massive Universe want to read it as well. So um, let's talk first a little bit about what the Massive Verse actually is that a lot of folks may not know. So what's the Massiverse? Well, the Massiverse is 
a little creation of ours. So many years ago when Kyle Higgins, uh, Ryan Parrott and myself were all working on different creator-owned superhero projects um, and had the sort of the ambition at least to publish them at Image, we realized that there was some connective tissue between them all. Um, I think some of it is that we've all written for Power Rangers. We have a little bit of that too, because that's an influence. Some of it is we just have sort of similar sensibilities. Uh, and we realized that we had an opportunity to connect these books and create a shared universe. It's a little bit different from what you might get at Marvel or DC in that there's no editorial mandates. Um, and we can avoid some of the things that we don't love about shared universes, like the fact that big events tend to derail individual series. We wanted to create a situation where if you just wanted to read Photogo Red or Radiant Black or Rogue Sun, you could just do that without interruption. You could just read book one, book two, book three, uh, and then you wouldn't be missing out on anything. But we did have the opportunity to cross over in small ways. Uh, for example, every year we do a, a one-shot called Supermassive, where different characters from across the universe interact and engage with each other uh in a one-off way that reflects what's happening in their stories um and gives you a bit more insight into all those characters but it doesn't it's not necessary reading for any of the individual series uh and then from there we started to expand and bring more people in melissa flores um doing her series the dead lucky and we've had mini series for uh, radiant red and radiant pink with different creators we've also kyle's uh started a new book called no one which is sort of a noir murder mystery and then now we have all these opportunities to do other things, like we're working on a fighting card game with our characters from across the massive verse that um, will be available later next year. So yeah, it's just our sort of experiment in figuring out how, how we can do shared universe superhero storytelling a little bit differently in a way that preserves all of the value and freedom of creator and comics, um, but has some of the fun of seeing different characters with like vastly different stories engage with each other. So you mentioned Supermassive, and mm. unlike Radiant Black and Rogue Sun, who I believe already had their titles going at the time, yeah, Inferno Girl Red wasn't introduced until unless you unless you followed and uh, back to Kickstarter, wasn't introduced until Supermassive came out. So was there mm. any rationale behind that? Yeah, or was I mean, it just timing? It was just timing. Yeah, some of it was just timing in that uh, as much as Radiant Black and Infernal Red started their gestation process together, Kyle and I started working on them about the same time. It took a lot longer for me to find the right artist for my project, so I was just a little later out of the gate. Uh, but I think also some of it was we wanted to use these big events to uh, like tease different things and give people things they haven't seen before, and one of them is a way to see new characters that are coming and have that experience. And like, if you're reading Radiant Black, you might pick up Supermassive, but then be introduced to this character that, you know, you really like, and you can jump on the ground floor and start their adventures from their origin story. Uh, and it's actually true of Rogue Sun as well. Rogue Sun 1 did come out until just after Supermassive, and that allowed us to tell the story of the Rogue Sun who came just before the actual hero of the series. Um, so yeah, it's like we like to just take these yearly opportunities to see what the lay of the land is in the Massiverse and then do fun things with it. Maybe that is sometimes throwing forward a little bit and showing you some things that are coming in the future. Sometimes it's 
going way back into the past and seeing the history of of the supermassive universe and um, what connective tissue lies back there. So yeah, it's just about seeing different opportunities. Yeah, and and I will admit I read everything out of order. You know, I I was already reading Radiant Black and I picked up Rogue Sun simply because it's based in New Orleans, and of course everyone knows. It's home for me. So, you know, mm-hmm. speaking with Ryan about it, I, I, I found out he had a great love for the city, which is why he, he had it based here. But, and yeah. you may have answered it already when explaining the Masterverse, but unlike the rest of the characters in the Masterverse thus far, Inferno Girl Red is in her own universe, her own dimension. Is it, was that reason based upon this idea of just being able to separate everything out and having different stories. Yeah, I think that there are a few reasons behind it. One of it was just because of the nature of the story in Fernando Red, we wanted to tell something that felt a little like near futuristic, like the technology that's in Fernando Red that's publicly available isn't what is reflected in our world. So they have things like holographic phones. Um, the whole city of Apex City where Fernando Red is set is a little near utopian and has um, some technology and even some like societal approaches that we haven't embraced yet. And we didn't want to do a situation where all of this was happening in one city over here, but for some reason it hasn't um, filtered out to the rest of the world. Whereas Kyle uh, and Ryan were much more interested in telling a story set in the now and something grounded. So realized the easiest solution was to just put Cassia on her own earth in her own universe, which actually worked out fine because part of the Infernal Red story is a multiversal element to it. Now this gauntlet the Cassia wields travels between universes as needed to go where it has to to fight the darkness that's sort of the driving antagonism of the story. So it, it um, worked out surprisingly cleanly, thankfully. Okay, so you are part of a creative team that includes Erica D'Urso and on pencils and Igor Monti on colors. What is it like working with those two? It has to be wonderful. Oh, it's, it, it's so good. They're so great. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier that the reason why we took so long to get Infogo right off the ground was finding the right person. And Erica was that person. And I'm so glad we waited and held out for as long as we did because, I mean, first of all, I knew that I needed a female perspective on the book because uh, I knew it was going to be a story about a teen girl and I didn't uh, wasn't able to bring an entirely honest version of that to the page by myself. And um, I wanted not just an illustrator, but a co-creator, a partner who could um, really help make decisions about all that sort of stuff. But I think most importantly, like Erica has the most profound range of seeing. Like she does the most incredible, energetic, uh, definitely in some ways like anime-inspired action. It's just so punchy, but also when we have these quieter moments between characters, she can just break your heart with the emotion. Like she's, she captures that human experience so well. So that incredible spectrum is so valuable. And then with Igor, his color work is just, it's it's such an important part of the identity of the book. I think it, it, it is so stunning. I, I really think if it was somebody else, I mean, you could probably get a whole different concept of what's going on. I mean, I would imagine yeah. Erica really pushes him. Yeah, I think they push each other, and I think they found in each other a really sort of inspiring art team. 
uh, and I know they talk a lot about how to best enable each other. Um, and I think like, even I've like learned from Igor and also now that I, I better understand how he works, I write for him. Like he does this incredible thing in action scenes where at the like peak moment of impact, he'll invert the colors just to really like, you put a, a really fine point on this moment. And I want to like write to those moments now. I want to help like set him up for those sorts of things. And I know that also he can handle light in a way that I really haven't seen any colorists do. Um, so I'm always thinking when I'm writing about how can we bring light more into the story and how could that be a storytelling tool that I can lean on uh, because I know that he'll have uh, such a powerful grasp on it and he can communicate so much with it. So yeah, I feel so fortunate to be working with those two. I think they're like, they're both going to be absolutely huge in the industry. And I feel very, very lucky to have gotten in early uh, in their careers to work with them. So at the end of book one slash volume one, mm. Anna, who is Cassia's mom, she's, she's mm. swept away somewhere. And I have my thought behind that. Uh, but it's also revealed that Janine, who runs the school, the Helix school, mm. is was the original Infernal Girl Red. How is all of that going to fit into book two? And if you can, where does book one and book two fit into the timeline of Cassia's intro in Supermassive? Well, I, to, to answer the second part first, I think it's the shortest. By the time you're finished with book two, you'll have a very, very specific understanding of how Cassia's timeline fits into Supermassive. So book two is kind of the uh, the key to understanding how that all fits together. Again, not that you need to. Uh, we've been very meticulous in constructing this thing where if you've read Supermassive, you'll understand how it fits together. It'll be really additive. But if you have it, it doesn't matter at all. And you can just keep reading in front of God Red and you shouldn't notice the difference. Um, I'm really quite, quite, quite proud of how we balance, the, balance that one out. Uh, and to the first part, it's really going to be a driving concern of the book um cassia had a very 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 strong relationship with her mom uh, because they moved from city to city so often they were kind of the only people that each other relied on cassia's mom was in some ways her only real support network but now cassia's mom has gone and cassia's gonna have to as you get progressively worse in the city start to figure out how she's going to move forward and build a new support network and a new team of people. And part of that does include Janine, who used to be in front of Go Red, uh, which, you know, on the face of it, sounds great, right? Like you have a mentor who's been through all of these things and can teach you a lot, but um, something that we've hinted a little bit before and you'll, you'll learn a lot more, uh, more about as we go forward is that Janine never worked with anybody, at least in that capacity, and she's not used to being part of a team or um, being a mentor in that way. So there's going to be a lot of teething pains in this new sort of mentor-mentee relationship that are going to cause problems at a time when Cassie can't really afford any more problems because so much is is going wrong in the city. Yeah, because it's definitely going to be different because in, in book one, Janine and Anna was more of a... I'll, I'll use a Lois and Clark type of relationship where Clark was constantly yes. coming in and saving Lois. They weren't really partners and, you know, teammates, you know, yes. Anna just basically happened to be where she was and a monster popped up and 
Infernal Girl Red had to show up for the save. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, in some ways, Cassia's mother was very uh, enabling for Cassia and, and sort of helped her embrace the power of belief and have that optimism. But in a lot of ways as well, Anna took that too far. She was, uh, I think, sometimes reckless and would get herself into dangerous situations while trying to help. And I think that ultimately led to the events at the end of book one. So I think it's something that Cassie's going to be dealing with as well. Cassie herself has learned this important lesson about the power of belief and what she can do when she opens her heart to optimism and channels that power through the bracelet. But she's also just experienced firsthand how it can go wrong when you are not careful and you sort of can um, almost fall into self-delusion when you don't, when you lose your grip with reality. So Cassie's going to continue trying to walk a very fine line of um, of having the belief that she can change things and, and sort of embracing all of her power, but having to not uh, lose herself in that. And there's not a lot of time that passed between the end of book one and the, the start of book two, is there? Not very much at all, no. Uh, a couple of weeks, if anything. Okay. So let's talk about the Kickstarter campaign for book two. It is in its yeah. final stretch. Uh, it mm -hmm. is scheduled to end on Thursday, September 21st. I have already backed it myself. I did not make the mistake I did the, the last time with book one where I was new to Kickstarter and I was saving everything until the last part and, and work and life got to me and I missed out but I was able uh -huh. to get uh, all three issues once they were released by image. But I will ask this question and I'm going to ask it because simply because not a lot of comic readers, especially novice knows how it is to work with an indie publisher like image compared to DC and Marvel. So why Kickstarter? Part of it was how we wanted to tell the story. Um, so you mentioned that Infinite Go Red Book 1 was three issues. Those were all, uh, on average, double size. So on average, they're about 40 pages each. Some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Um, and we actually never intended to do single issues at all. What we wanted to do was just graphic novels. And the reason for that is that graphic novels, uh, when you write them, as a whole have a different sort of shape and structure to them and you can tell a different sort of story as opposed to having to write uh, single issues each with a beginning middle and end uh, and we wanted to create something that was very inviting to people who maybe hadn't read a lot of superhero comics before or uh, a lot of comics at all and we thought that the novel format would be more familiar to them and more accessible uh, and the, the novel format also allows us to spend more time in certain scenes like we have we get to spend more time just with the characters but also like at the end of book one we had an action scene that was 20 pages just with the action scene and if you're doing monthly comics you probably couldn't do that because that would be the whole thing that someone would pay for it's just that one scene um but doing a whole graphic novel is very expensive and because you're not financing it by getting returns each issue it's just it's harder to get the money together for it uh, and there were a few different solutions to that. We could have taken the book to another publisher and been paid some money to produce it, but part of that deal would have been signing over at least some of, if not all of the rights to the book and some of the creative control. And we were very passionate about 
making sure that we remain in control because um, we have some opinions about what superhero comics could and should be uh, and we wanted to be able to exercise that without any concerns. Um, we wanted that freedom of being an image, but um, we had to figure out a way to pay for such a massive project. So it was to Kickstarter. And thankfully, people have been incredibly supportive of us and um, have helped us create this story and bring it to life without any compromises, which has been uh, absolutely incredible. And on the first one, we actually we figured out eventually that we could break it not into individual issues really, but into three chunks that felt relatively good as standalone chapters. And that's why we ended up publishing those um, sort of double-sized issues. And we suspect we'll be able to do, do it for this one again, probably. Um, but that is all reliant on us being able to fund the project first, which is where we're at now. Understood. So there are several tiers with this campaign. For those who, like me, are reading more and more digitally, you can able to purchase or back the campaign with getting a digital copy. If you are the type that likes to read, have that physical book in hand, they have a hardcover version of book two. And if you missed out on book one, you have the opportunity to pick that up through the Kickstarter campaign as well. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, both uh, digitally and physically. That is great. So again, I, I have book one already. I, I made it up to Kyle after I, I after he fussed at me for messing up the uh, first campaign when I missed out on it. Uh, but I have already backed book two. Uh, it, you guys really have to get, get, this, get this thing on the ground and get it running. Um, now, unlike in book, with the campaign for book one, you guys are really stepping it up with some of the tiers. So you're doing a portfolio type of review. You're going to be looking at a script for some individuals who want to aspire to read, to write comics. Is that correct? Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, myself, Kyle, who's editor on the book, um, and our assistant editor, Mike, uh, Michael Basudel, who edits all of the other Massiverse books as well, um, will be looking at uh, script samples, or treatments or pitch documents that you have. Um, and it's a thousand dollar tier, so it's pretty huge, but you'll get that uh, review. And then you'll also get a half hour conversation on Zoom with the three of us where we talk about that feedback and give you any advice you might have on um, how to proceed career-wise. And really something like that is a great investment. I've always said as someone who runs a business, you have to spend a little money to make some. And if you want to get into that industry of, of writing comics, you really got to invest in yourself. And when you, when you get feedback from guys such as Matt and Kyle Higgins, who has a wealth of experience, you know, I remember reading Kyle going all the way back to Batman internal many years ago. Mm. When you have that wealth of experience out there, you really need to take advantage of that. If you're, if you're an aspiring uh, comic book writer and if you are an aspiring comic book artist erica will be doing some portfolio reviews as well so there's a tier out there if you're interested yeah. in uh having your portfolio looked at by erica and kyle and getting feedback from them on that as well but again Absolutely. i'm actually this final question this is your last chance to sell this campaign sell it to me. You don't need to sell it to me because I've already brought in, but 
<laughs> sell it to me. Sell it to sell, sell it Absolutely. to my listeners. Well, our hope with Infogo Red was to create what we saw as uh, the future of superhero comics, and we wanted to combine um, some Saffron Japanese tokusatsu storytelling, which is like the source of Power Rangers, so Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, that sort of thing. We wanted to bring in a lot of what we loved about Western superhero comics. We wanted to bring in a little bit of what we love about boarding school fiction and teen coming of age stories and put them all into a melting pot with the most incredible art team, I think, in comics just about, uh, and create a story about a teen superhero that feels relevant to now. And one of my big inspirations was uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, which, which brought me into comics in a lot of ways. I actually have it all. No, obviously this is audio, so people can't see it, but it's all behind me right now in hardcover. Um, and I was so inspired by that and it was such a foundational part of getting me to comics that I wanted something that felt like that for now because that series is like 20 years old now um, that felt true to the experience of the moment and reflected some of the things that are going on in the world and also had something to say about how to forge a path forward and, and believe in yourself and make a change in the world when everything around you is so dire and it feels like um, there's no real hope of making a positive change in the world. So all of those influences are put into this um, into this book that we think is exceptionally cool. And through the Kickstarter, we get to create uh, these Kickstarter hardcovers, which are oversized, have exclusive covers, filled with the coolest back matter material, all of Erica's process stuff, um, script to page type process breakdowns, uh, extra well building back matter material is all put in. Um, and then we also have got a bunch of art prints from very cool artists. We love to go out and have people with very different styles give us their take on the Infernal Red World. And that's all available as add ons um, or at different tiers rather. And then as add ons, we have uh, pins um, created by Kelly McMahon, who does uh, incredible Infernal Red pins. You can add on to any of your physical orders. Or if you're digital, we're also doing a behind the scenes podcast series where you'll get a series of podcasts from myself, Erica, Igor, and Kyle uh, for both book one and book two, breaking down the story and how we approached it and how we got to all of those things. So kind of like a director's commentary. So there's a lot on offer there and we really need your help to bring the story to life. It won't be happening unless we can pay for it and we won't be able to pay for it unless we fund the Kickstarter. So we'd love for you to uh, just come check us out. Check out our page, check out all that incredible art. See if it's for you, and if it is, uh, back the campaign and give us your support. So if I wasn't sold already, I am now. So again, it is the Kickstarter campaign for Infernal Girl Red, book two. And again, Matt mentioned the podcast. If you're reading No One right now, which Kyle is writing also, the massive verse is is really moving beyond just comics. If you again, if you're reading No One, he has a sub, he has a supplemental podcast that goes along with it that fits into the comic book. These guys are doing some awesome stuff with comics and superhero superheroes, and just doing it in an entirely different way. And and you really need to be a part of it and again as matt mentioned the only way you can do it for infernal girl red is by backing this campaign and and bringing it to life uh again 
Matt, thank you so much. How can fans follow you if they want to follow you on the socials? Yeah. Uh, on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter, I am at Matthew Groom. That's one T in Matthew, G-R-O-O-M is my surname. On uh, Blue Sky, I'm at Matt Groom. Again, one T in Matt. Uh, Infertigo Red is on Twitter. You can just go at Infertigo Red, all one word. And if you want to get to our Kickstarter campaign, you could just enter infernogorred.com into your URL bar. At the moment, that's redirecting right to our Kickstarter campaign. So that's a nice, easy way to find it. And I will have all of those links in the show notes, just in case you guys want to quickly get to it from the site. They'll all be there for you. Again, Matt Groom, thank you so much for joining. Again, I'm going to do my best to get this Kickstarter funded. Uh, guys, Again, get out there and, and, and make it happen. Uh, I really want to get into book two and, and see what happens with Cassia, especially since Matt then revealed that it, it kind of fits into what happened in the first volume of Supermassive. So now I need to mm -hmm. see how all of that happens. And I need for you all to help in making that come to life. But again, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Best of luck with getting book three together because, uh, book two is going to happen. We're going to make it happen. So again, thank you for joining <laughs> me on the podcast. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the chance to come on here and spread the word. Uh, love what you do. Thank you. So again, I want to thank Matt for taking the time to sit with me and, and speak about the front of girl red book two. Again, it was, uh, it, it came up, it came about real quick, you know, and he's out there and, Sydney, Australia. So we had a little time difference that we had to work through, but I'm happy we were able to connect. Again, this is this is a a wonderful project to support. And uh, I missed out on book one when it first appeared on Kickstarter because I, I was new to the platform and didn't really know how things worked with it. Uh, but I did end up getting uh, the volume uh, when it was released uh, earlier. Uh, late last year into this year and I really enjoyed it and again it 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 plays a massive part in the massive verse if you uh, read the very first super massive crossover you see that she uh, was involved and in front of girl red needs to be brought to life so that we can continue the story that uh, these guys are telling but again thanks to Matt for sitting down with me uh Again, all of the info is going to be in the show notes. Please back this project and let's bring it to light so that we can uh, have other readers get this book in their hands. Uh, again, unlike publishing with the big two at DC and Marvel, uh, when you get things published at Image, uh, creators have to fund those projects a lot on their own. So... This is how Matt and his team are looking to do that. So let's help them out and, and get this project brought to light so that we can get this second volume of Infernal Girl Red and continue the story of Cassia and her, her family and friends. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. Again, I appreciate you all listening in. I always appreciate the support that you guys give by downloading and subscribing each and every time an episode is released. Um, I'm going to do one final thing before departing, uh, and that's
whether it's news, whether it's original stories or comic book reviews, reach out to me. Because uh, again, uh, the site is growing. We're taking on more projects. Uh, as you could tell, I've, I've been doing more interviews. And so there's a lot of opportunities to participate in what we're doing here at the site. So reach out to me at Theo at the comic book spot.com and uh, let me know what you're interested in and uh, we can have you join the family over here at the comic book spot but again that is going to do it for this week's episode uh, next time we're going to jump back into doing what I haven't done in a while and that is comic book reviews I have a few titles past and more current that I am going to be uh, looking over and reviewing but again, that is going to be it. And until next time, as always, thank you for your support and keep reading those comics. Oh.